0: Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D show I am joined by Indoor Adventurer. Uh, he runs a Twitch channel and plays a lot of games, runs a lot of games, runs a homebrew world that's really fascinating, and this man loves Magic the Gathering. So we spend a long time talking about MTG lore and how it is worming its way into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, a very special episode of the Saturday morning D&D show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle and I am joined today by our good friend indoor adventurer over at the Indoor Adventures network. I don't know what do you got over there?
1: Uh, <laughs> is, maybe it's a network right Yeah, now.
0: It's just a Channel. Sh- channel know. that does a bunch of stuff, but you've got YouTube and Twitch and I don't know, like it's a Everywhere. it's a it's a mini empire, right? You've got merch yeah, and all kinds of things. It's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Poor Lucian could not join us today as his new job takes him uh, traveling. So we might have more guests in the future uh, just because like Lucian can't do it. So I don't know. And like we wanna keep the show going. So uh, rather than just skipping a lot of weeks, we decided to get some uh, awesome people on the channel to uh, chat with me or vice versa uh, when Jordan's on baby duty and things like that. It looks like we have some fans in the chat already. Thank you for joining us today, Indoor so much yeah it's no problem
1: oh i've been been a big fan of the show for a long time first time caller long time listener
0: you've been Uh, on before haven't you i thought you have yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah, Yeah, back uh i think Waterdeep dragon heist had just just come come out wow yeah 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 it was over a year ago but yeah i was also in a completely different setting i think i've moved like twice during that time (laughs) yeah no it's 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 been a grip it's it's been good though
0: Uh, Well, Indoor, uh, let's talk about you. First of all, we'll do some introductions. Who are you and and what do you do for people who might not know uh, who you are and what you do on the Uh, internet? Well, uh, so
1: I am the Indoor Adventurer. Uh, I am a showrunner at uh, twitch.tv slash Indoor Adventures. I do a lot of D&D content. Originally, when I started doing stuff, it was more of like video essay format. And then I just couldn't keep up with that with my regular life as well as streaming. I have, like, a bunch of half-finished videos on my computer. So, you know, maybe if I ever get more free time, I can go back and finish those. Uh, But as it stands right now, I am just a tabletop gaming enthusiast. I run a homebrew campaign of my own creation and world setting on Mondays. Uh, Tuesdays, we just finished up a game. And then on Thursdays, I also run more stuff. And then I, I... hang out and she ch- in chats for shows like this Does it really enjoy the d show
0: uh that's awesome are you playing only d on your Twitch channel and YouTubes and stuff because you you upload the VODs to YouTube right because yes. I'm, I'm subscribed to YouTube channel yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so we
1: we upload all of our VODs to YouTube we also have uh podcasts wherever podcasts are available um but it's really just dependent on what we feel like mostly like the reason why we play a lot of D is just because that has the most visibility it yeah. has its sub sub section on twitch because if we're like hey we're playing kids on bikes okay well like i could put that in the D chat but then i worry about like that one dude who's like this is not dungeons and dragons and will flag us anyways and then if we put it in the tabletop game chat it's like that's just a veritable Crickets. wasteland yeah. yeah no one goes there so yeah we like uh you've you've actually run a uh, a harry potter hack of kids on bikes for us before we've played kids on bikes uh our buddy graybeard at graybeard tavern uh he made up a game like he made up his own rule set nice at, like one in the morning, one night, because I cause I used to do a thing called One Shot Wednesdays. Yeah, like, yeah. That's where
0: it. I did the Harry Potter thing. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I would do One Shot Wednesdays, and I asked GB, like, hey, could you make up a game? Or, like, could you run a game? And he's like, yeah. And then he made up a, like, 1920s noir setting, but it's all, like beyond the veil kind of stuff so all of our characters are like oh i'm a vampire i'm th- like i am uh i'm an ancient fey i'm uh, a guy who was like cursed by an ancient egyptian mm. curse and now i can't die i have to consume gold to live like we all play like these really weird occult things because it's a setting that gb made so there are no restrictions as yeah yeah to we can be and it's just it's a it's based on like the powered by the apocalypse system, okay. so it's just two d six, and then most of it's narrative anyway. So we just have a good time with that. Uh, and then as far as like running other games or playing in other games, I want to play it more. We've played Dungeon World on the channel before. I love Dungeon World. Yeah, uh,
0: another powered by the apocalypse game. Uh, and I've only read Dungeon World and seen a couple people play it, but uh, it's. I like it too, like it's, uh, uh, Adam Koble really explains the process well of uh, collaborative storytelling um, yeah, yeah. In, in all aspects. And so you come in as the dungeon master or as the game master not knowing X, Y, and Z, and you really fill it in with the rest of your people, or, I mean, I haven't played it, but this is my interpretation of it in interviews that he said. And I really like that, whereas uh, Dungeons & Dragons really gets into a, it's uh, not a crunch. A, yeah, yeah, and it, and and some people like that. And actually, a lot of people like that. You know, I have uh, I play with a whole group that really enjoys like how can I position myself for maximum efficiency and things like that and they have a lot of fun with that. But um you you almost kind of like scuttle through the narrative stuff to uh get to combat and going back to like you mentioned kids kids on bikes or kids with wands, that was a game that really like sparked a new interest in me for rpgs because uh every there was no combat everything there was no initiative everything was well what do you want to do and if the the game master felt that there was a challenge to doing that then you had to roll and and if there wasn't a challenge you didn't have to roll you just kind of did it and so it's it's interesting how i guess my own perception or perceptivity of rpgs has changed over the years as well but oh for sure but
1: um, yeah, and other games that we've played on the channel, uh, because we also do charity events every year, like, we've played Fate System before, and okay. Fate, Fate makes, that's a, that's a wild land, yeah. that is the Wild West, I mean, we played a Wild West version of Fate System, but, like, the rules are made up and the points don't matter in Fate, yeah. except, like, the Fate points, those ones matter, uh, and then, uh, we're also good friends with, uh, the creator of the Power Outage tabletop RPG, The Bars, Um, that is a, it's like a a TTRPG that's supposed to be for kids, not in the, like, no thank you evil, uh, kind of style, but it's very much a, like, there are ways to play the game, and the way that it breaks it down is actually, I feel, really important to regular, uh, dungeon delvers, that kind of thing, because one of the things that it does is, like, there are three phases to every, uh, every trip, every, every encounter, that kind of thing which is the exploration phase, the puzzle phase, and then the combat phase. Because if you think about a dungeon, half the time there is the like, okay, we explore the dungeon. Okay, we have encountered a puzzle. We must solve said puzzle. Okay, now there's a monster that has appeared or there's a person that we need to talk to. And the really interesting thing about Power Outage as well is that um, because it's designed for kids, kids aren't good at number crunch. So one of the things that you can do in that is that you can actually, there's a, card, uh, a card-based a card system. So rather than rolling dice, you can just draw the top of a card and be like, oh, I succeeded in this. Mm-hmm. Like draw a card, oh, I failed in this. Okay, moving on past that point. But like each of the failures are meant to propel you forward. And in, the game itself is very much, I think you would enjoy it because it is it is a punster's dream. Ooh. every Everything is just like, cereal box superheroes yes to say to say the least about that so like one of the characters that Babars played on our uh on our charity event last year was called the Sasquatch and like uh LB who's been on the show before played a character called the Caffeined like it's (laughs) it's, like just to make the most ridiculous thing like the first time I ever ran it it was a group of cold-themed supervillains who all showed up in the same place at the same time and were like, well, we have a giant refrigerator that we put in the middle of town and we're going to use it to cool everyone off. Like, it's because it is meant to inspire the imagination of children. Yeah. There are no real, like, oh, well... If you think about the size category, that really wouldn't work in Megatropolis. But,
0: <laughs> how uh, how much that... electricity does this fridge actually use? Because no. I don't think the power grid could sustain such <laughs> yeah, a. Exactly. Like, yeah.
1: No, that's Shadowrun rules. We yeah. don't go there. <laughs> awesome.
0: Well, that's really cool. Yeah, I will. Uh, I wrote those down so that uh, I can put some links in the doobly doo below if you are interested in uh, such a such a a game. You can, you can go check it out or check out your uh, stream of it. Cause I'm assuming you have these charity events on your YouTube. Oh channel. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, we called it the Guild home gathering, uh, which was a mental health awareness support stream. Nice. Uh, and it was, I didn't know it at the time, but we were holding it on Gygax day. So oh, I, think cool. we're gonna, yeah, I think we're going to try and shoot like every year close to Gygax day that we're going to try and do the same thing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I not to like shift gears, but I'm gonna shift gears because I have a story I want to tell. Yeah. Um. I uh, a, f- a f- f- fan of the show, Kyle. Kyle, fan of Saturday Morning RPG show or D and D show. Yeah, we're not <laughs> rewriting. Uh, sent. I was reading the cover of this. Sent me this book, which is the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide. Um, And he, he, uh, so thank you, Kyle, for sending me this. Uh, I apologize that I got it a month late and it's just been sitting in my P.O. box because I don't really go to the P.O. box if I don't know there's mail there. And I went yesterday because i'm like oh i have mail there and then i was like what is this and so this was kind of a pleasant surprise um and the only thing is he sent me this book and said i'm not affiliated with anybody who wrote it or anything he's like i just think it's kind of cool and i wanted to see what you thought of it and maybe if you do a review or something so i've been flipping through it and i i will give my opinion maybe next week when i have more time to actually read it um but what you do is it's kind of like homework like, you have to go through and fill out, like, what made this person beautiful, what made this person strong, and you just kind of, I don't know, it's like a worksheet for building a backstory for your character, which is kind of cool. And there's a bunch of, like, random tables and things like that, uh, but my, my really fun, uh, cool story with this is I picked this up and put it on my uh, passenger seat car, and then I had to go get my oil changed. So I go to the oil change place and while I'm getting my oil change, this girl uh, who works there, she must've been like 19 or 20, like super young. She walks up and she's just like, I'm sorry, like, what is your book? Cause that looks really cool. And I'm like, oh, I got it in the mail. And I was kind of talking about it. And then she said, that's really awesome. Like I pay, I play RPGs. And so I was like, oh, well, I like play lots of Dungeons and Dragons. And so we were geeking out about RPGs and she was just super excited about meeting somebody else that did. RPGs and things like that and, and it was like I don't know you just have that instant connection with somebody so I was like you are really cool that's awesome so then I go and get my uh, emissions checked because that was the next thing on the list for Friday exciting Friday night and I went there and there like was this 60 plus guy working at the emissions counter and he comes out and he sees my book and he starts talking about I played AD&D back in the day I met my wife through RPGs we play riffs right now we must have been playing riffs for like oh gosh it's probably been like 20 years now and I've got and 30 books and blah, blah, blah. And it was it was funny because you meet people and they're so like, I guess if you're me, kind of like unapproachable sometimes. You're like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to do this. But how quickly that, these people opened up when they saw that i had not even a DD book just like a regular rpg something that they didn't know and they were curious about and started a conversation and that uh, and that rpgs just span everything like like you could be 10 or you could be 70 and, like, you could have a cool conversation with somebody. And it was just really cool that, like, RPGs are for everybody. And it made me day. and so, Or made my day. And so I got home and I was like, that's so cool. Like, this is so neat. And I, I need to, like, do this. And then a bunch of people on Twitter were like, yeah, just go read your RPG books in public. And you'll be surprised how many people approach you. Because it's like, oh, do you need players? Do you need a DM? Like, do you need this? And you can make friends. So, anyway, that's my story. And it really warmed my heart. And I think you should all uh, read your books in public. And we'll talk more about... The ultimate RPG character backstory guide, next week I think.
1: I think I'm. I've, I've actually. I had a friend uh, who was running a like. We were playing uh, Yawning Portal, like one of the adventures from there. Uh huh. And he was also the same thing. He's like, guys, I found this awesome book and like showed up with that one. And so what he started doing is that uh, during our downtime, when we would be like, okay, like we'll we'll take an eight hour rest, like he would find things in the RPG backstory book and be like, okay uh you during your watch think about like what was this so that way like he could start getting more information from it so as like a
0: dm perspective he was kind of putting questions to his his uh players okay he he was putting questions
1: to his players or it would be like uh like having one of the other characters possibly ask about it like Mm -hmm. if it was if it wasn't one of those like hey looks at number 79 did you kill a king previously? <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like if it was like, oh, hey, like what's your favorite kind of bread? Like yeah. just to help flesh out characters form party bonds. So like I can, I I, I recommend that book. It's oh, just cool. like having, yeah.
0: having actually experienced
1: it. So when you were like, yeah, I got this book in the mail. It's like, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it looks really fun. And I, I'm curious about, uh, I was talking to, uh, my my dungeon master, because I'm like, hey, I got this book. And he's like, that's really cool. But I I don't like having all the answers. And I think if I went through this, and I've only read a little bit of this so far, but like if I went through this book and actually like filled it out and did everything, I almost feel like I would come to the table with too much. Like I like the way that you're describing it because you want to leave a little bit of like ambiguity with your character so that as events happen, you could be like, yeah, like... I don't know. I, I, I was an orphan, but like, I don't, I am a king. I don't know. Like something, something silly like that. Um, we're on brand today. Look at us. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, I learned from the best, (laughs) but, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's more fun to me to like figure out those, those, to figure out the character while you're playing. Granted, I haven't played a lot. I'm mostly a dungeon master. And so I kind of have been treating my characters. Like I treat NPCs where I'm like, Here's like the gist of what I need to know. And then I fill in the rest later kind of a thing. But but I don't know. It was a, it was a really thoughtful gift. And so thank you very much. We're going to try that out. And, and I like that. What you're saying is maybe, maybe during downtime, it's like, you know, uh, player one, this rumor about player three has been bothering you for a long time. And you feel compelled to ask him about it tonight. And it is like, did you kill that king or something? And then it just opens up like, oh, I don't want to talk about my assorted past. All this stuff. Yeah. Like Elby's like character in Rod of Seven Parts. Don't ask me about my history. I'm, I'm too dangerous. I'm too
1: dangerous. Don't ask me about my history, but like I have seven pages of backstory mm-hmm. just in case. Oh, I got
0: seven pages. It was awesome. Yeah. I know. Uh, this winter when I'm cold, I'm going to use. No, I'm kidding. Uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> Make a coat. That's yeah. It it'll is. be awesome. Not use it. Not, you know, not toss it in the fire. Oh, no.
0: No, of course but, not. Yeah. Uh, I, I can just print more. It's great. Um, Baldur's Gate 3. So uh, that's, like, the big news. I just made a video on it because it's, like, the big news and things like that. Uh, Spelljammer Nautiloid Mind mindflayer ships. Um, I don't think there's new information about this, but it's, like, topical. And I thought I'd ask you, are you excited? Have you played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Neverwinter Nights, any of those? Like, are you excited for more Forgotten Realms video games or D&D video games in general? Or are you, well discuss what's going so- on. So. so
1: as far as like historically having played them uh i as a kid my parents said you cannot play anything that has a t or above rating because you're not that age and until your youngest sibling is of that age you cannot have them in the house so as far as like never winter it was always like looks at fondly on the Fred Meyer shelf, it's just like, I don't know what that is, but the box looks really cool. <laughs> and then with Boulders Gate, like same kind of thing. Like, I don't know what that is, but my parents will let me rent it from the library. So then like, I would see I, if I am more uh, familiar with Boulders Gate 2, yeah, specifically the second one, because that is the one that my best friend had growing up. So whenever I would go to his house, he'd be like, oh, I'm playing through Boulders Gate 2. This is incredible. And I'd be like, okay. I have no idea what this is based off of. Is this a completely unique game? Like no one had told me what Dungeons and Dragons was probably for the better, because I would have just like deep dived into that. But like, as far as like characters that I'm familiar with, I know who Manx is. Mm -hmm. I've always remembered Boo, the giant miniature space hamster. Like, I've remembered their dynamic and, like, fighting some enemies, but my overall knowledge of Boulder's Gate as a setting has really just been uh, from, current, from current recollection. So, like, uh, modern-day me works at a place uh, that sells used video games, so a lot of the time, like, we'll get people bringing in, like, old games and stuff like that. And people have brought in Neverwinter Nights, all of the expansion packs, Boulders Gate One, all of the like manuals and stuff. And I didn't know that in the first uh, in the first PC release of Boulders Gate, the manual is like 180 pages. Oh wow. Like the first 30 well, like the first 30 pages are actual game manual. And then the second half is Volo's Guide to Boulders Gate. Nice. And it's actual like a little like lore book. And I was like, oh. Well, I'm gonna get that after yeah that's shit. way cool like I don't I'm not gonna play this game because like my laptop doesn't have a disk drive I, I can download like the enhanced editions later but I I've, I've been going back specifically to pick up those old manuals trying to find bits and pieces of lore that and like the characters are really they they didn't know what they were doing with naming characters so like uh, I found a PlayStation one game Called uh I think it's like Trials of Iron and Blood, a Ravenloft battle game. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like a a, a Soul Caliber Tekken 3D style fighting game, but set in Ravenloft. But Strahd isn't one of the characters that you can fight as. But one of the characters' names that I, I really want to play now uh is Ignatius Max. <laughs> and like the names are so grandiose that it's like, yes, I want to go back to where this was. So like my knowledge of Bouldersgate gate is very limited i would say but knowing that Bouldersgate gate 3 is coming out has still filled me with the same amount of excitedness because i started reading through all of the DD comics that are published by idw that are written by Jim up mm-hmm. and in those the first instance is them in Bouldersgate. gate like there is a statue of minx that ends up becoming alive and he thinks that he is minx and like <laughs> he's in the current day forgotten realms again yeah so. yeah
0: i i think i've read that as well that's fun
1: oh yeah no so uh as far as boulders gate 3 very excited the trailer got me so hype seeing like the what is it like the Cenomorphosis? Centomor- yeah, the, ceramorphosis, like, the, yeah the flaming fist guy turned into a mind flayer and then the like five minute intro mm-hmm. that they revealed at pax <sighs>
0: i'm really excited i think it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh apparently it has some like multiplayer stuff so that would be really cool to uh play through it together like i don't know if i could if you could find some friends and just be like yep we play this every like saturday for three or four hours together and that's how we're gonna get through the game would be kind of fun so we'll see oh yeah um I actually just found a website while you were talking about this called replacementdocs.com where you can download PDF scans of old game manuals. And I found Boulder's Gate and you're right. It's very, very Volo's guide. It's fun. There's like, Oh, here's this place and this place. So that's really exciting.
1: Yeah. No, like I would say like for people who are trying to run like a descent into Avernus game and want to flesh out Boulder's Gate, like find that old
0: manual. mm -hmm.
1: Because again, it's just like so-and-so owns a bakery on the corner of this street because Ed, I will stand by this. Ed Greenwood is a crazy person. He knows the corner of every street of every city. If you ask him on Twitter, you're like, "Oh, what was this person doing at like 11:30 in the eve on the night on like day number 9 of this particular 10-day." He's like, "Well, they were at home with their family reading a story about this." And it's like a 10-page long tweet because he's very active
0: on Yeah. Twitter. Yeah, he's it surprises me that well, if he hadn't sold The Forgotten Realms to TSR I don't think it would be what it is today um, because he's not Tolkien. He's not a lot of things, but he is very detailed and he has a very, a very fleshed out world for what he, what he created. Um, but it it's just interesting to me because I'm like, i part of me is like, I think that's sad that he doesn't own the rights to the forgotten realms. And it's cool that they let him like still, you know, contribute to it and do all this other stuff. But uh, it's, I don't know. I just find it interesting, but I I think about that a lot where I'm like, I don't think the forgotten realms would be this huge setting if it wasn't for him selling it. Like if he had held onto it in some way, it would be like, well, we're not making enough money off of this. So we're not going to promote it. So we're not going to, you know, and and allowing multiple authors to define and build up the world in different ways and stuff was kind of interesting. So, but, but speaking of multiple authors and large, large settings, um, your yes, Magic the Gathering is announced. Uh they're doing another campaign setting for MTG. And way back we were getting these plain not uh there were there were like free supplements that they were putting out for Magic the Gathering settings for DD. And then we got Ravnica, which is really awesome and popular and people really like that. There it is, in all its glory. Um and personally I was like, oh well that's done. Like they made Ravnica Ravnica's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the most popular magic, the gathering setting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. it made sense that they're like, we want to take the most popular one and make uh, a D and setting for it. And it is this like huge world. And so a lot of people could buy that. You could run a game in Ravnica or you can steal a bunch of stuff for your own game. Cause it is just like, do you have a large city in your game? Do you want to do X, Y, and Z? And so that's kind of cool. Uh, and then Theros was announced and I, uh for for those of us who don't know anything about Theros, what is Theros? Uh Mr. Magic the Gathering lore expertise.
1: <laughs> so, uh Theros for all of you who have wanted a a like Greco-Roman heavy on like the Greek mythology style setting format or uh, for for Dungeons and Dragons. I was going to say for Magic the Gathering, but meh. for D&D Theros is going to be the block for you. Everything that they have there is very much like oracles. The gods are active. There is a pantheon. There is an underworld that's ruled by a guy who's totally not Hades. Like, there is so much of this of Theros lore that is ingrained in in the Greek mythology set, um, and it is. It's very interesting because, for example, like when uh, it was the latest Unearthed Arcana, how they were saying, okay, so there is the Circle of Stars druid, right? And how like at second level, you can gain a star-filled form. In the the Theros block, there are creatures that are born of the celestial heavens. And when we mean celestial, we're not meaning like, ah, I am God-based but specifically made of star stuff. And these can be like crabs and elk and people and gods. Like it basically looks like an outline. And then the inside of that outline is filled with a variety of color and these star stuff. And there are even Magic the Gathering cards that are called like Ram, And it's just a sheep. It is a sheep that is filled with this star stuff, but they're like small living constellations. Because in Theros, the magic that is there is so heavily tied to the living things, and the veil is growing thinner, that more things are becoming infused with this ability. And so in the Magic the Gathering cards, the a lot of the creatures that were coming out were creature enchantments. So in Magic, there are the two distinctions between, like, okay, you are a sorcery instant spell whatever creature mm-hmm. and then there were enchantments which were permanent spell effects so in theros they made creature enchantments so what you could do is that if you had say a card that was like oh destroy enchantment okay that immediately became destroy target creature right like, okay it expanded it like increased the amount of gameplay there but as far as uh, other abilities as well You could start, like, enchanting creatures with these other creature enchantments. So in the same way that you have, like, a totem barbarian, you could have, like, oh, I am this barbarian. Okay, I'll enchant it with this crab that I have for Mm -hmm. some reason. And, like, you could start doing things like that. Uh, In the overall, like, lore of the Theros block uh again it's like there are titans there's a yeah like there was a, a a cool god that was like don't worry i'll lock away the titans for everybody but then this dude shows up uh his name was um his name was Zenagos, he was a satyr uh and he was also a planeswalker and planeswalkers uh in the classic magic the gathering setting were effectively gods uh but they've nerfed the old planeswalkers like planeswalker urza for example which was like the center character of all of mtg for i want to say like 10 years kind mm-hmm. of thing like had multiple blocks <laughs> named after him uh he ended up like going the way of the dodo they just dis- they they pushed him aside they brought him these new planeswalkers because what they wanted to do was that they wanted to start shifting the keywords around? They wanted to start shifting around phrases and and making things more easily to understand for new players. So, for example, uh, you don't like in your uh, in the older cards they'll say like, "Oh, target opponent's deck," but now they want to have it be more like, "You are a wizard playing this game." Okay, so that's your library, and instead of a discard pile, okay, that's your graveyard. Like they started changing gotcha. the words and instead of a player canonically the players playing the game of magic the gathering are planeswalkers you are mm-hmm. the people who are doing all of this thing so like uh
0: jance and like they're they're the famous Jace, j yes. or j sorry there are the famous Jace. planeswalkers that like run around though that yeah. have art and stuff that i sometimes use in my videos but we won't yeah yes, they'll, like
1: they'll, little Lejani. there here. you go <laughs> uh yeah so um Basically, all of these, uh, so Xenagos was a planeswalker who came back and as a satyr was just like, i have Hedonism, this is great, but now I am bored. What's the next thing that I could possibly do Is like, this borderline godlike figure? I'm gonna become a god in a plane where it's super easy to, like, actually become a god, I guess? Like, looking at the lore page for Theros, in Xenagos's little, like, blurb, it says... He became a god under shadowy circumstances. The end. Mm -hmm. Like, like not even wizards really said how he did it. Hmm. Because, like, in the the way that the, like... Because each of the Magic the Gathering blocks that comes out is a... If they come out in three, imagine it like a three-act story. So, like, okay, you get your first act of the story in block one, second act of the story in block two, third act of the story in block three. And that really started because Magic the Gathering used to release books with every single one of their previous expansion packs. So, like uh, Ravnica, the first time, I say the first time it came out because we have gone back to Ravnica, I think, three times at this point, which, as somebody like, I like Ravnica. Ravnica's cool. Can we go somewhere else? Yeah. Can we, like, man, like, there are so many other places we could go, but that's besides the
0: point. But these, uh, these novels like, sorry, I'm gonna back up. Do the cards tell a story or are they just, here are the effects of this world and then the novels were the story?
1: The cards do tell a story, but in the same way that when playing Dark Souls, you have to read the flavor text of every item to infer the story so for example uh in uh war of the spark one of the magic the gathering sets that came out last year the overall narrative was this big old dragon has come he is an ancient elder evil wants to become a god is going to be doing all of this then there are these group called the gate watch uh which the fan base colloquially know knew as the Jastis league uh mark rosewater the head designer of Of magic the gathering did not like the fact that they were called the chastis league but that's besides the point uh and they ended up clashing so when you look at the cards you can see like okay it'll be like Nicol bolas leader of the dread horde and you're like okay who's the dread horde and you can look on the cards and you can kind of begin to make these connections and then there are others where it's like an untimely alliance and it is rakdos the big like cult leader demon of the cult of Rakdos on Ravnica with the, one of the good aligned planeswalkers on his back and so you as the player have to think okay why why are these two together and like the flavor text on the card will speak volumes in that he'll say like it's Rakdos saying like I'm doing this the one time Gideon no one has ever ridden on my back and no one will ever do this again But you know then later, because of the lore, that Gideon is trying to ride Rakdos up to fight Bolas. And that's the only way that he can do that. Mm. So like, it's not like the cards are like, as you read it, chapter one, so-and-so did this thing. And then you read the next card, and it tells a congruent story. But based off of all of the flavor text and all of the artwork that they provide, you can still formulate your own story.
0: Okay. And then, I don't know. That's really interesting. So the... uh going back again even further um what how many worlds are there and what actually is a planeswalker? <laughs> i guess i should say that like like because when we play in ravnica or theros that's coming up you're not like this omnipotent being that's moving and shaking animals and creatures and artifacts and things like that you are uh a loxodon that's like running around being an elephant boy and you're happy you're like yeah yeah it's great uh And that is what I guess confused me about these Magic the Gathering um, settings is when you're playing Magic the Gathering, you're not like you're not taking on the role of the Loxodon Militia card that you just played you are using that as a defensive structure and they're just such different games that I don't understand exactly how it comes to mesh. I mean, I guess I do. I've read Ravnica. I understand that like, there's a world and things like that, but uh, I don't know. So my question, yeah. Like where do planeswalkers come from? Where do they, what are they? Are they gods? Are they more than gods? Are they?
1: So in the original, they were, I would say that they were more than gods. Like they were on the same uh, equivocal level. Like, There are some older planeswalkers who created entire planes. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, the set of Magic the Gathering called Mirrodin was created by a silver golem named Karn because he did the Dr. Manhattan thing after the Weatherlight Saga and was like, I'm going to go and be alone for a while and make my own world of all machine people to, like, feel more at home in. Mm -hmm. So... In the older sets, like, these Planeswalkers have the ability to just make new worlds. So, to answer your question about how many worlds are there, Magic the Gathering has set it up where they can just say, as many as we want. Yeah. And, which allows the game to keep going, because if they said, oh, there's only X number of worlds, then they're setting themselves up later to be like, well, crap, we we hit we hit world 78 <laughs> and now we can There's
0: sub-worlds. The Doctor can only regenerate Ramna 13 Ramna times. We better figure out a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so...
1: Uh, But with with Planeswalkers, so imagine you are playing as a summoner. Uh, And so when you bring about these cards, uh, you are basically invoking and summoning those creatures to fight by your side uh, in this large scale battle. So it's not necessarily like you are playing only with uh, like, oh, I am playing as this Loxodon, like when you put it onto the battlefield you are playing as the person who has brought forth this loxodon into a battle and you are trying to tell them like okay once you finish this you can go home yeah like that kind of thing um there was a time there was one very small uh formulation of magic the gathering where that was not the case uh and that was when wizards of the coast did a thing on a magic the gathering uh event called game day which they do every year which is just you bring in like it's just a tournament,
0: mm-hmm. but on this
1: specific game day, uh, the outcome of the tournament determined what the next block would be for the narrative. So, in uh, one of the sets, there was an option where uh, it was on Mirrodin, so like the artifact plane, but then there was like this infectious oil that came in and started corrupting a lot of uh, a lot of these other things, and it was actually like an ancient evil from like many sets ago. So, like a lot of the like magic the gathering lore nerds like i shrieked when i found out that it was like oh my god the phyrexians are coming back and like friend in the dorm with me was like can you i'm studying like please yeah. tell me. <laughs> um, and, like i'm foaming at the mouth about this but what they did is that on game day you always have to register your deck for like larger events like that but what they were doing is that they were counting out how many cards in people's decks were of one specific faction versus another. So there was the coalition and then there were the Phyrexian cards and the coalition was all of the people fighting back against the infectious oil. So what they did after game day was they tallied up the amount of decks that had the coalition and they tallied up the amount of decks that had the Phyrexian cards in it. And in order to be a Phyrexian deck, you had to have like X number of Phyrexian cards and no coalition cards. So like there were some restrictions, but depending on the number that determined the next set. So it would either be Mirrodin Reborn or New Phyrexia. Turns out the Coalition cards were bad. And so the Phyrexian cards were really good. Mm -hmm. So the next set that came out was called New Phyrexia and actually like changed the course of magic lore just because of the players.
0: Yeah, no, that's fun. And uh, there were like that kind of coincides with living worlds in the D&D because um, Forgotten Realms was a living world for a while, and and there were other living. I think Greyhawk had this too, yeah. where multiple players all over the world would be playing D anD D, and then the battle statistics of whatever adventure they were on would be uploaded, and then it would be like, okay, and this is going to shift it into this direction. But
1: that one was really neat too, because that was actually one of the like half finished research videos that mm-hmm. I had it was on uh, it was on Greyhawk specifically. Um, but it was dependent on your locale where you were playing, popped you in in a different part. So, like, if you were playing in, like, oh, it's playing in a tisr event in Japan, okay, well, you're affecting like this far corner, yeah, uh, the Greyhawk setting, okay, I'm playing in Oregon, okay, like you're affecting this part, and like Mm -hmm. it was all based on region, it was really
0: neat. So, that is really fun, and there's Adventure League is. Not trying to do that, but that's the replacement for Adventure League or, or for the living world. But it would be kind of fun to have an event like that. Uh, might get me back into Adventure League, who knows? But a, a kind of a large question, I guess, for you, uh, and an opinion is: is this a good idea? Like Magic the Gathering and DD together? Like, if they are we gonna get burnt out on these settings, or are, is there enough people, L5R, Yisko, yes, <laughs> is there enough people that are, uh, hungry for this because i remember when ravnica came out i was like who who wanted this book like who was this book for and i guess now i found my answer because at the time i'm like i don't think anybody asked for this like why are we doing this but you're actively running a ravnica game right now
1: i was oh you were oh yeah we hit the finale oh okay one person died but then there was a time wizard involved so (laughs) that's fine uh no so i think that ultimately financially for wizards good idea okay because like we saw in the ravnica book a lot of the art assets are already there Mm -hmm. there are cards called artifacts that are already in the magic the gathering setting which we saw in the ravnica book so like It's one of those, like, hey, don't copy my homework and make it too obvious kind of situations. But I think that ultimately, because like Theros, they're doing a tie-in to their, their newest set. So the newest expansion is called Theros Beyond Death. And it is going to be like much more heavy in the narrative aspect of Theros for Magic the Gathering. But... So they they kind of want to do a cross promotion with that and like hey if we release this book around the same time that we release the set then cross the streams we can get everybody who likes this thing maybe... cross the
0: streams <sighs> cross the never streams. never do no. that
1: exactly and I think that that's the that's the thing that Wizards might find themselves in is that Ravnica is very popular, Theros has the Theros is a much more defined setting than ravnica is so like theros for example has an entirely new pantheon yeah like whereas ravnica like there aren't like that's a like no gods 10 masters kind of situation Mm -hmm. and like because you respect the 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 way of the guilds in theros there are so many new things that you can explore and i think that that's really interesting as far as like just from a setting standpoint or like from a character or from a player who's always just like yeah like i've like i've, I've been playing this game the same game for so long like i know all these deities but like to give a dungeon master the ability to be like all right but do you know who nylia goddess of the hunt is mm-hmm. like and they're like reskinned obviously like reskinned like greek deities but at the same time put those in as options for players, I think is really important.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, if we get there, they said in the Theros book, there's going to be two, two new subclasses. And I think uh, Jeremy Crawford said on Twitter that like, it's only two. So don't, don't go crazy. Um, But I mean, more options are always good. I was really, I always thought it was weird that the uh, Spore Druid made it into Ravnica. It was almost like, eh, we got to like, I don't know. We got to like throw this in just to, help people because like our druids in in a world of city didn't really make a lot of sense to me but I don't know
1: (laughs) especially like the the spore resurrecting people part totally cool like the Golgari swarm all about that turning into animals yeah
0: Mm. (laughs) so that part that was the that was the real distinction there what is what in I mean you know a lot about this. This is awesome. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you again. But uh yeah, what so is the next Magic the Gathering D&D setting? Like what what's popular enough that they're like, "Well, we're going to bring this over." And is there well, I'll ask that first. Like Okay. So got I a think, hunch? I don't know. <laughs> so
1: my my hope is that they go to Dominaria. Dominaria so originally for like the first I want to say like 15 years of magic lore all took place in the same world mm-hmm. really like there was there was one primary setting and that was Dominaria and it had all of this like all of this stuff going on in it great that's awesome and they just haven't really touched it at all. Like, they had, like, a return, like, they had a, a, like, return to Dominaria Magic the Gathering set that was, like, a standalone block. And then they just sort of, like, pushed that aside. And then said, Ravnica again! Which, again, like, for me, it was like, go back to the other one, please! Mm -hmm. Um, So, I, I hope that they go to Dominaria. As far as marketability, I think that the next book will be Innistrad
0: oh and, yeah and I I even know about that one so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
1: so so Innistrad I think would be like their best bet because the only thing like D&D players from my experience we're so thirsty for gothic horror like somebody ple- like Curse mm. of Strahd is great but that's the only one we have and we we've all played it now like a lot of people have played Curse of Strahd so if you give us an entire setting that sets up like okay there's werewolves and feral hunters and the city that like vampires are present in like if you give us that setting we'll go bananas over it so please give us Innistrad
0: and uh Chris Perkins was even saying that he's working on like a a Curse of Strahd thing and even though you say Curse of Strahd it could be this who knows like exactly
1: like if it was Innistrad it has Strahd in the name
0: yeah come on guys there you go the dots are all there (laughs) (laughs) um is this just playing on nostalgia? I mean, I know like movies do it and they're just like, there's no original ideas in Hollywood anymore because they want movies that have a built-in fan base and things like that. And so I look at this and I'm just like, you know, they, a lot of people, myself included, are really curious what Wizards of the Coast could do with the current fifth edition rules to create a unique campaign setting that actually was a reflection of the rules. So rather than taking Eberron, Forgotten Realms, uh, Dark Sun, Planescape, all these others, and like making, you know, Dragonborn and Tieflings work in Forgotten Realms, making them work in Eberron, why not build a campaign setting that utilizes these and gives it their own lore of why they're important? Uh, But instead, we're... Is it nostalgia? Like, is it just like, well, we could make something unique and cool, but like, we know that these Magic the Gathering fans will want this? I think. And the arts there. And like, we've already kind of said a lot of, I like, there's a lot of reasons to do that. But I don't know. I, I just,
1: I don't think that they can get the, I don't think that they can get the go ahead. And I think that that's, that's prime, primarily the reason for it. Cause like, I have worked like, we've both worked uh, in in games tests as something that we found out. And, like, the overall process of, like, trying to get things approved. So Hasbro, who owns Wizards of the Coast, like, they kind of leave wizards to do their own thing for the most part. But they still have to focus on the financial aspect of it. And as far as safe bets go, getting something like Critical Role as a setting... That's a safe bet. Yeah, Getting something like Magic the Gathering, those are all safe bets because the co- the overhead is so low mm-hmm. on actual printing, the printing of those things. Eberron, we had Wayfarer's, Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron that showed, okay, this is a safe bet. And I feel like the reason why we're not getting a new setting for D&D 5e is because they don't know how to present it in a way that would make it a safe bet because everything that they've presented is so focused on the forgotten realms so we're in like going into year six so they would have to either have a new like basically advertisement campaign to be like all right you like the forgotten realms here's the forgotten realms but like with b emojis over the front of it yeah. like like they No, to- it,
0: yeah, you're right. They would almost need to be like, okay, here's a sixth edition, and we're gonna launch sixth edition with this new campaign setting that you can explore. Um, and, and
1: like that's because so do I don't like know, Forgotten so realms. many
0: people don't like the realms. Like I get this daily with my channel because it's like Forgotten Realms, and before I kinda rebranded as Jordan with a PH, it was Forgotten Realms Explained. And Uh, people are just like, well, I hate it because there's Mary Sue's everywhere and there's this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're right. But if you take those like characters out, it is a really complete kind of fun world to run around in where you're the heroes. And I feel the same way about Magic the Gathering. Like you have Theros and you take the Planeswalkers out so that you can be the heroes of the story, of this Theros story. You know, you don't don't be like, okay, we went, oh yeah, wizard came and he fixed it all cool like i don't know it's kind of thanks wizard yeah they, yeah the problem guy like you <laughs> <And then, laughs> like Wee! And he off i go <laughs> you know <flies> like, <laughs> yeah
1: no and i i think i think that that's that's the main reason why we don't why we're probably not going to get the new setting yeah for this. that's not a pre-established setting already because for them like for wizards it's just not like it's not a safe bet and especially because like when I was at PAX Unplugged two years ago now, and then hearing uh, Jeremy Crawford like give a talk, he was just like, oh, Magic the Gat, like D&D, like, it has been a continuous red line up ever since we released this edition. Like We keep getting more players, we keep getting more people who are interested in it. And so if there's one thing that shareholders love, It's seeing that red line continue to climb. So I feel like even if there were situations where like there was like, hey, I made this, I made this awesome setting. Possibly, like, maybe we could look into developing this. I feel like that's still gonna get shot down because that doesn't continue the the growth trend. Yeah. And even if we get to sixth edition, lo and behold, and it is a new setting. I feel like they are going to have to try so hard to get that because we've had Forgotten Realms lore for, I mean, you're the Forgotten Realms lore guy. like Yeah. You know, uh, like
0: I mean, Ed, Ed Greenwood came up with it in the early 70s before Dungeons & Dragons was a thing. Like, he had this world that he wanted to write books in and things like that. And then um, when TSR got a hold of it and started using it for games, it was, it was one of their... Uh, one of their plethora of worlds. Like, oh, you want to play in Greyhawk? You want to play in the Forgotten Realms? You want to play here? And like, you would kind of choose like which one you want to play. And then arguably, uh, this could be a good like video topic is that TSR just went overboard with campaign settings. And people didn't know where to start. And there wasn't like, uh, and so when fifth edition came out, it it was just curious that they were like, uh, so backing up fourth edition had its own campaign setting. That yeah. involve dragonborn and tieflings and things like that, and every edition we get of D and D kind of adds things to it, and so with fifth edition it's like, well, we want to keep tieflings, we want to keep dragonborn, we want to keep things like that, um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit of planescape, we're gonna take a little bit of uh, I forget the name of the setting for fourth edition, but we're gonna take a little bit of that and like. And now we're going to like mash it into the forgotten realms and we'll create something called the sundering that explains a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't really. And we'll write some books that kind of tie it in, but like, not really, I don't, you know, like, eh, and, and I guess that's my frustration is that, uh, if you want to do it, like make it proper and cool and they, they don't. And, And it's like, Like, I like the Forgotten Realms a lot, but it is convoluted lore and history at times because it has gone through so many changes. So now I see that we have Magic the Gathering, and they're saying, well, here's all these worlds. And Wizards has specifically said that they want all of these D&D worlds to be interconnected in some fashion. Like, you could travel to Wildmount with Critical Role. You could then travel to Ravnica. And they've done this with Acquisitions Incorporated. There are Forgotten yeah. Realms Ra- uh, uh, Ra- uh, Acquisitions Incorporated characters went to Ravnica, did a bunch of stuff, and came back. So there's ways to traverse all of this. And you have creators like Keith Baker for Eberron that's like, well, Wizards is forcing me to say that it's part of an overall world, but I don't really like that because I liked Eberron being its own thing. Yeah, uh, And... I don't know it's just kind of I don't know where I was going with that I thought I had a point but I don't think I did
1: (laughs) I I think that like because it was the it was the switch between TSR and and Wizards of the Coast that Mm -hmm. really like focused in on the Forgotten Realms as the setting because it was the head of Wizards at the time who after they bought it was just like no Forgotten Realms is my favorite setting so like let's just focus on that yeah As, like, our continuing path, and I feel like that has kind of been the trend ever since, was that it was just, like, the decision that he made upon the purchase of TSR, like, oh, I Mm -hmm. I really like the Forgotten Realms, so, like, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've just kind of been trapped in that ever since, because, like,
0: we have the option of Spelljammer. Crystal Spheres, done. There's, like, a whole... You you go to the edge of the crystal sphere, you teleport to another area, like, yeah. And then there's, uh, but even that, like, I made a video and I'm like, you could go for through a crystal sphere to dark sun. And then people are just like, you can't actually do that. And so like, it is interesting that there's all these, like these settings, but then there, there are those, uh, those people that created those settings that are just like, I don't like how that fits. So it doesn't fit into that. So I don't know. It's kind of, and now, and, and I'm thinking that magic, the gathering is going to be like that where we just have, it's another world that you can visit. You can teleport there. And so I'm like, well, when do planeswalkers come to the Forgotten Realms? <laughs> like, when does that happen? Or is Elminster a planeswalker already? And that's kind of why he's so Mary Sue overpowered and things oh, like yeah. that. Oh, so yeah. I would,
1: I would point to that guy and be like, yeah, it's a planeswalker. Yeah. So I don't
0: know. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. I am always like, I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not a uh, poo-pooing this or putting it down or anything i'm excited for theros i want to explore these now that i know that these are going to come out a little bit more and the lore is so rich and interesting and more than the forgotten realms i like lore i like history and i like mythical things and so i want to i want to figure all this out and, and do more of that which is partially the reason i fell into uh, uh in love with eberron is i was just like this is like so different And I like that, you know, there, there aren't gods that walk around among us kind of like they do in the forgotten realms. There are these abstract ideas that you worship and you somehow get divine power. And we don't really know where that comes from. And I like that kind of aspect, but then you turn around and you have something like Theros. And I like that as well, where it's like, yeah, this guy right here, he's a God and walks around, does stuff hanging out, you know? So it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I don't know. I, with, with all of these uh, magic, the gathering tie-ins, it's just interesting that with 5th edition, we haven't had a lot of, uh, I should say, D&D fans are hungry for Planescape and uh, Dark Sun and all of these things. And they took a chance with Eberron, and it was very successful. And then I think the the moneymaker, the bean counters upstairs are going to be like, ah, this Magic the Gathering. We want to continue with that, rather than bringing back those older settings. Because there's yeah. there's far more... Magic the Gathering fans then there are probably D and D fans. You go to any Friday Night Magic, and it's a huge, packed. But I go to Adventure League, and I'm like, oh, there's like 20 people here. That's cool, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. That we talked a lot about this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll not do Bardic Inspiration because like whatever. Uh, but indoor, uh, really quick. I guess not really quick. We don't have to go over my games. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but what are what have you been playing? And and what is what is new coming up for the Indoor Adventurer Channel?
1: Well, hey wizards, do you want a homebrew setting that involves like tieflings and dragonborn and all of that stuff? I got a map of my homebrew setting there you right are. here. I can help you out. So on Mondays, uh, I I DM for a completely homebrew world that you were actually able to play in. Yeah, uh, I basically just steal everything as as steal like an artist. Just like you know, like don't like copy the homework but make it look like your own so like i have a floating city that has uh like one of the uh mytholar like oh yeah like i took one of those and was just like oh yeah it's a high magic city okay boom done and like have that kind of stuff so it's the setting that i have is is very free form i left a lot of the creation of it up to my players at the beginning because it was like hey what do you want to be? And a character is like, I want to be a noble knight from the Feywild. And I was like, mm. I have not gotten to that point in making that world. It's like, tell me what that means about the Feywild. And then like worked with my player about actually building that. Uh, right now our players are doubling back to an island that is ruled by the last dragon on the plane. Uh, because in my version of the Sundering there was the version, there was like the, the battle between uh, the giants and the dragons, but uh, Raven Queen in my setting is not the like prim proper deity of the crit role setting. She's like she's like Ghost from uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp, where she is stuck between like a temporal rift because mm. her ascending into godhood was she gained the ability to overcast to a tenth level spell, and I basically put Karsis from Karsis's Avatar as Raven Queen instead. And Hmm. then her folly was that she became a deity. All of the elves that followed her got sucked into the Shadowfell and they became the Shadarkai. So that is why there's only one dragon that's left on the plane. Uh, They are going to help find him because they were friends with him before. He flew off to investigate an issue that uh, was on an island that they had previously gone to that was controlled by hags they removed the hags didn't kill them but removed them dragon went back the island because like it was a it was a uh, a bronze dragon yeah a bronze dragon so he was able to control the weather on this island they had one person left contacted them was like why is the weather all bad oh dragon hasn't been here in like 5 months them uh <laughs> That's bad, so they're going back to try and find the dragon. On Tuesday, we had Waterdeep War of the Spark, which was our Waterdeep game. Uh, But after it finished, uh, one of the primary villains from the campaign was actually controlled by the ancient evil dragon, Nicol Bolas, from the Magic the Gathering setting. So he stole a character's sister, took them into Ravnica, And hey, Wizards, if you need rules for how to make a Planeswalker in D&D 5e, one of our characters was a Planeswalker. And the way that we did that was that their abilities weren't tied to uh, spell slots. It was hit die. So in order to use your abilities, you had to expend your hit die to show, like, levels of exhaustion. But then it got to the point where, like, if you're, like, level six... you use all six of your hit die you can still keep using your magical abilities but you then keep rolling hit die and you subsequently take more damage onto yourself to then cast bigger and better abilities Mm -hmm. because there are certain planeswalkers that have sacrificed themselves with their planeswalker abilities to do x things so it's like okay i want to keep that and then to finish it off thursdays we do our ghosts of salt marsh game which has gone almost entirely off the rails uh, but we're we're back. We entered into the last chapter. One of our uh, one of our characters is an aboleth, uh, trapped in a human form. Which, if you have read Ghosts of Saltmarsh, the last chapter is going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and also continuing that uh, continuing that thread, one of our characters uh, had died previously in the adventure. They were the cleric of Umberley. There was a a small island that was a uh, actually a, a small cult of Tharsden, and so they were like, hey, we can bring your friend back. And like nobody put two and two together that this was a Tharizdin cult until after the cleric got resurrected. And the cleric, when they resurrected, is like, yeah, Tharizdin's my patron now. So like they went <laughs> from worshipping Umberly to just like, I follow the chained oblivion. And the way that I play Tharizdin isn't necessarily like an eldritch horror. He's very personable. Oh, cool. Like he's very much just like all you have to do is just break some chains i'll do whatever you want it's fine and so like that character has the ability uh uh, like i gave them a ledger that has the stranger than fiction ability so whatever they write in the journal has the possibility of coming true so like one of the things that they ended up doing which will lead into a thing for you one of the monoliths was in the anarok desert Uh, so, in this Anorak Desert monolith, they wrote in their journal that as soon as the monolith was destroyed, an oasis appeared. And, like, a lot of people, like, came and blah blah blah, and, like, they have the ability to turn these horrid things that Tharsden would just be like, ah, destroy it all, it's fine. To actually have it be for the good of the plane, even though it is
0: unleashing the God of Madness. Hmm. Do you, do you have a wiki or anything that you use to control all of this? Like your players can look stuff up or it's all up there, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, sh- I mean, if I, I have thought about, I've thought about using, uh, like I have a OneNote that I yeah. keep. Yeah. Uh, and if, and if people ask, like, I'm more than willing to like help share it. Uh, but as far as like making a wiki or, uh, Sylvain in, in chat says that, uh, I should, I should publish them. Yeah. Uh, I should push them to like my own version of a dungeon master's guide. I'll try. Uh, maybe Do a campaign be, setting.
0: Like, maybe you can make, yeah, I don't know. It's it. That would be interesting. Uh, a very ambitious thing, but that would uh, be interesting. I don't like ambition. <laughs> Just because of the amount of time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Indoor Adventurer, for joining us. Uh, Lucian will be back next week, maybe? Magic the Gathering. Uh, we talked about a lot of awesome stuff. Um, I'm currently running a game on Wednesdays on Nerd Immersion's Twitch channel called The Rod of Seven Parts with, uh, some really great people. Um, we did not play last week, but we will play this next week, uh, because reasons. Um... There are a lot of cool Kickstarters and interesting D and D stuff going on in the world. So like go on Twitter and just kind of look around and see what you can find. Uh, Lots of really cool stuff. Uh, I put links in the doobly doo with all this stuff. Again, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing with a friend. If you are a podcast listener, please rate us on iTunes and all of that awesome stuff. And finally, wash your hands. Everybody (laughs) wash your hands. If, your name is LB and you're in Oregon right now where there is a virus. You should wash your hands. Uh we very much uh love you guys. Thank you so much. And uh we will anything else before we go, Mr. Indoor? Uh no, that's gonna be it. If you liked
1: what you've heard, maybe I'll put yeah. out like maybe I'll put out some magic the gathering lore or like if you ever need help. I like I told you before this video, and like those of
0: you who have stuck around and have witnessed,
1: I can talk all
0: day I love <laughs> <magic to gather. laughs> so much. that's awesome follow <laughs> uh, Indoor at Indoor WTF on uh, the Twitters and I am at Jordan with a silent PH in the middle and we will see you all next week with another episode of the Saturday morning D&D show goodbye our intro and outro music is 8-bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org